Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. You know, so Daniel chapter 7, verse number 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth, in the mouth of, in between the teeth of it. And they said, Thus unto it arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld and lo another like a leopard which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth that devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns. Behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. we got waters to tread through. Amen. For a few weeks here in chapter number 7. Amen. Tonight, I'm, I, I, I just entitled it this two schools of thought because we're going to explore a couple uh, schools of thought along these particular verses uh, this week and next week and we'll flirt with a third okay Uh, just with these first eight verses so let's pray that God would help us tonight father I come to you I'm praying oh lord mark any error lord for my heart and my mind God let my words be sure lord grant us understanding I pray God in your word and your scriptures God, impart that wisdom and that instruction and that knowledge. God, to us through and by your word, I pray, oh God, enlighten our minds, cause us to lean in, God, to whatever you may be saying through your spirit. God, I pray, oh Lord, today, God, that you would help us, Lord, minister to us. We'll thank you and love you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ. We pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. I thought about getting out the uh, dry erase board and doing some scratching tonight. I really did. I'm just the setup of that big table and that little thing it's just kind of cumbersome it just isn't real so you all be praying about we're going to have to get us I'm just going to have to break down somewhere along the line and get a, a dry erase board that we can flip because these next few chapters uh, you can be seated I'm sorry uh, these next few chapters uh, I think just to keep your attention we're going to have to do some scratching or something you know and or, or just to keep you up to date with what's uh, going on and taking place uh, and, and I try to use media whenever I can but I just don't always have time after the study facet is done to get something put together on media because that takes time too and so time is of the essence redeem the time the days are evil come on so uh, here we are um, and I, I'm going to kind of just wade into this a little bit here tonight um, 
the Bible, the Bible in and of itself is what uh, some have called, and I'm not jumping right here on chapter 7. I'm kind of jumping just a, a little little introduction here. But the Bible is what some have called a, a progressive revelation. And what that means to you and I is that, uh, you know, whenever you, you go to the level, let's take, for instance, uh, you go to study or you go to learn or understand uh, trig- trig- trigonometry. Let's say you're going to take trigonometry. Uh, you don't just go into that class and say, okay, I'm signing up for trigonometry without first having learned basic arithmetic or, or, or some, some, perhaps some algebra uh, interlaced in all of that. And so there, there, are, there are certain items in what we call prophecy, what we've been studying, uh, that we call prophecy, that they find a lot of their basis in other books of the Bible. Uh, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, there are little bits and pieces uh, of the Scripture uh, that are involved in the prophecies that we study. And a lot of people, you know, they always want to go straight to the prophecy. Tell me what it means. Tell me what it is. Well, that would be like you coming to me, never had basic math, never had algebra, and say, teach me trigonometry. We got a vast gap uh, between where you are and where you want to be. Uh, and, and so in doing so, we, I tr- I've been trying, and maybe this is why it's taking so long, been trying to back up and teach the basic math and teach the algebra so that we can grasp a hold of the trigonometry, so to speak. And so when we look at Bible prophecy, it's more than just Revelation and Daniel. We're looking at uh, the whole Bible. And perhaps that's the reason why uh, whenever we study prophecy, just studying prophecy in itself uh, underscores how important it is that we we read our Bibles. All right? Uh, That we read and reread our Bibles. And, uh, And this is just a side note. One reason why some people may not understand. I say one reason, okay, I preface that. One reason why some people may not understand prophecy is because it is by and large based upon other elements of Scripture. And so you got to have somewhat of a overview or somewhat of a uh, understanding overall Genesis revelation of some scripture in order to understand certain portions of prophecy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Here we go, understand? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so you, you can't skip, again, you can't skip the basic math, the, the algebra and t- trigonometry. You'll say, sign me up for calculus. I'm ready for this. Well, I'm sorry, it just don't work that way. But uh, in essence, and I say this for us all, uh, here tonight, that there, there will probably by and large always be some unknowns to prophecy. Now everybody's just about ready to sign out of the class, aren't you? I thought this was going to cure all my ills and every question I ever had about Daniel and Revelation. Sorry, it's not happening. I told you that from the very beginning. It wouldn't happen. And the reason being because a lot of the prophecy that is still uh, recorded in written scripture are things that are still yet not They've not happened yet. They are still futuristic. They're out there before us. And so there is, though, something in that. The unknowns that we have about prophecy for you and I as saints of God or or Christians, what that should do for us, though, is still allow us to exercise our faith. Because those unknowns still cause us to exercise our faith, knowing that have trust in our God and have trust in his word. All right? Amen. If we knew every jot and tittle, amen, of prophecy, I'd say that we would probably be God. All right? Uh, and, and so this progressive revelation of Scripture, this progressiveness of Scripture and, and of a prophecy, uh, it's a learning process. As we collectively acquaint ourselves more and more with the Bible, as you read the Bible 
more uh, from Genesis to Revelation. Maybe you do a, a, a daily Bible reading. You have a one-year program that you do every year. You switch it up differently, but you read through the Bible every year. As you do that, there's going to be certain portions of Scripture, even prophetic portions of Scripture, that are going to, uh, you're going to start to understand more and more because you keep on acquainting yourself with the material. Amen. You might not have understood it before, but you've read it now, you know, 50 times, and now it's starting to make a little bit of sense. Uh, for instance, whenever I, was, whenever I was a child growing up, a child and also a teenager, there, there are some math problems that uh, we solved back then that they solved differently today. I've already experienced that with nieces and nephews, so on and so much. There's, there's certain math problems that they solve different. They arrive at the same solution, but they solve them differently. Now, why has that happened? Because the teachers and those who are educators and professors that constantly teach these things, they get more acquainted with the, the, the mechanics behind it all, and they understand that there's easier ways to get the job accomplished, easier ways to, to, to get to to the solution and so with all that said what I'm saying is the more that you invest yourself in the word the more that uh, certain parts of the word and particularly prophecy amen will make more and more sense to you so don't try to skip over and say who cares about everything else just tell me what it means because I feel like that's what today's society wants they don't want the work involved they just want just tell me what it means well read your bible from Genesis to Revelation and do so on a consistent basis and it will at least help and aid you amen to understand not just prophecy but just salvation and other things what it means now in Daniel chapter number seven we ready to get rolling all right well we're in a, a slow moving vehicle so it's going to be about 15 miles an hour all right <laughs> amen uh, in Daniel chapter number seven there are a couple schools of thought for Daniel chapter number 7 in the first few verses that I read for you tonight. One of the schools of thought, and the reason why I'm doing this again, uh, I, I cannot stand here and say this is absolutely how it's going to be. Uh, you, you, there are some people that will tell you this is absolutely how it's going to be, and they'll die <laughs> in their grave saying that, and they'll have a lot of good arguments and fights about it, and they're no better than the next man. Uh, about his opinion about how it should be it's kind of like the uh, pre-tribulation mid-tribulation post-tribulation thing uh, I can give you my opinion based up on scripture my own knowledge but we'll all know how it is whenever it happens all right and so Daniel chapter 7 covers just a couple a couple schools of thought one of the schools of thought is this that these beasts that Daniel sees coming out of the great sea as the scripture uh, proclaims are, are nations or empires that are represented in the end times whenever the Antichrist is going to come upon the earth. They are going to be empires and nations that are going to be in existence at that time in the end time. That's one school of thought. Another school of thought is that these beasts that come out of the sea are, are going to be beasts that parallel the empires and the nations that we've seen in Daniel chapter number 2 from the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed and that they just kind of parallel one another through these beasts. And so then they just kind of spanned a period of time leading up to, uh, the, you know, 
with, with Babylon and Medo-Persia and they're old but leading up to then the, the, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ so one believes they're all going to be in existence when uh, the Antichrist comes the other believes that there'll be old empires that through the eons of time have spanned this distance until the second coming so those are two of the schools of thought and so I'm going to try to walk down one of those aisles tonight now I'll tell you right from the very beginning yes I lean more toward one than the other but I'm going to try to be indiscriminate in, in, in presenting the information to not sway you because I want you to use your brain. I know it's bad, but I want you to use your brain and I want you to think, amen, and you use some of your own knowledge. So what we're going to do, we're going to investigate some of the possibilities Again, because this prophecy uh, that is still in front of us that still needs to be fulfilled, it's kind of like, you know, you can sit back and you start watching some things unfold and it's like, you know what, this could possibly be it being fulfilled. And then you see something over here that says, well, that could possibly be this fulfilled. And so it's like you've got a few options here. They, they both, there's some tendencies in there that kind of hit on that perhaps this could be that prophecy being fulfilled. And so it gives us some possibilities, some options, some direction. And I, again, I don't think anybody can crow. I know for sure this, there's people out there that do that. I know for sure this is what's going to happen. But over time, you'll even notice, you follow one Bible scholar on prophecy, over time they're going to change their ideas about what they once thought about something that was still in the future to happen. For instance, me years ago, and we've talked about the United Nations and the European Union, many years ago, before the European Union got to the number of members it got today, and it wasn't quite 10 yet, they thought that the European Union, as soon as that hits 10, that is going to be the, that, that is going to be the time of the feet that's part iron, part clay, because the feet there probably have 10 toes. That's it. Well, whenever the union grew beyond 10, they start to rearrange then their thinking. You understand what I'm saying? And so we can only start looking then at those future things as things start to unfold and be, be starting to see things maybe that line up or some possibilities that are there because we live up on an ever-changing world and the dynamics of our world, the dynamics of our nations and empires. All of that is constantly changing. And so from today, being so sure about the powers that are in order, well, this is the way it is. Well, tomorrow that one may fall and another one may rise. Okay? All right, and so as we do this, we got to just consider some of these things. So uh, whenever we, 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 we uh, go back to Daniel chapter number 7, and, 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 and what I'm trying to do here, uh, you know, the old saying, you can, you can give a man a fish, you know, for a day you know and he'll be fed or you can teach him how to fish and he'll be fed for a lifetime well that's what i'm trying to do amen through the book of daniel i'm trying not just to give you the neat little package there it is that's what it means i'm trying to teach you how to fish amen how to fish study use your mind deduce from scriptures from history from current events and uh, what the prophecy may be amen and again if you will remember uh, early on we talked about you know there's some prophecies though that may uh, take take the vein of, of there being a dualism meaning that they they may let's say what we're going to talk about this evening let's say it does represent the old empires and the empires that will be at the time of the coming of Christ let's not say it's one or the other let's say it's both there's a dualism there but it could also be neither is everybody okay <laughs> I'm not trying to hurt anybody Amen, early on here. And so there, there could be these things for our consideration. And so now that we're entering to Daniel chapter 7, we are entering some of the most prophetic times of the book of Daniel. 
uh, chapter 7 through 12. It's prophetic, 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 prophetic. Uh, in chapters 1 through 6, we've seen a lot of the narrative, a lot of the storytelling that we had with a little bit of prophecy in Daniel chapter number 2. For the rest of the book, we're going to see a lot of prophecy with a little bit of narrative that is thrown into there, a little splatterings of that. And previously, you'll remember that it seems like the way that things have went, King Nebuchadnezzar is having these dreams and Daniel's interpreting the dreams. But now things switches. Daniel starts having the dreams and he gets his interpretations from a supernatural source, which by and large, I guess, all of the dreams have come, uh, the interpretations of them have come from a supernatural source. Although it was Daniel, Daniel always said, this came from God, this wisdom, this understanding has been granted by God. Amen. And so since for the most part, the historical has been set aside from the prophetic, I think it's important to note again, I think I did last week or the week before, that the chapter that we are dealing with right now, chapter number 7, and the next chapter, chapter number 8, chronologically fall in between chapters 4 and chapters 5 because the Bible says this is the first year of, uh, of King Belshazzar. And whenever we went to chapter number 5, that was the end of Belshazzar's reign, the handwriting that was up on the wall. So chapter 7 and chapter 8 fall in between chapters 4 and chapters 5. Amen. For instance, whenever Daniel dreams what he dreams right here before us, these four beasts coming out of the sea, whenever he dreams this, uh, it's the first year of King Belshazzar, and the handwriting hasn't taken place on the wall yet. It's still under the rule of Babylon, and Medo-Persia has not conquered Babylon yet when Daniel dreams everything that he dreams right here. Now, Daniel, he's smart. He's learning from other people's mistakes because the Bible says that he has a dream and the terminology is real similar. He dreamed a dream of visions and his head upon his bed makes for a nice little rhyme. And then the Bible says that he wrote the dream. Now, you remember whenever Nebuchadnezzar had his first dream, the Bible says that it went from him and he wanted Daniel and all these wise men to tell him the dream and the interpretation. So Daniel's learning from somebody else's mistakes. If I'm going to dream something, I'm going to write it down while it's still fresh on my mind. I do not want this thing to leave me. And the Bible says that Daniel told the sum of the matter. So in what we receive in Scripture that Daniel relays to you and I is not every single little detail that he dreamed, but it's the sum of the matter, or if you will, the summary of the matter that Daniel dreamed. And if we would start then in verse number two, Daniel spake and said, I saw my vision by night. Behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. If you were, uh, if you have a Bible concordance or a Strong's exhaustive concordance or even maybe in the back of your Bible, probably not because those concordances are not normally the best. But if you were to look up the phrase four winds in your Bible in a concordance, for the most part, uh, it would be alluding to the four directions that we have in our world, the east, the north, the south, and the west. And it's as though that Daniel was saying that these four winds or winds from every direction converged upon this great sea and strove upon the great sea. And you can imagine, if you had winds from every direction that was converging in one place, that's not going to be necessarily the most calm water from every direction converging upon this one place. And the Bible says it converged upon the great sea. Now, throughout the Old Testament, I was even looking tonight, I was going back here in my Bible maps, you know, bless God, you 
Don't want to overlook those Bible maps that are in the very back of your Bible. But I, I was looking at my Bible maps, and it's amazing that these old maps that they have, uh, like just to the west of Israel, it says the Great Sea. Because in the Old Testament, by and large, most of the time, whenever it referenced the Great Sea, it was referencing what we know today as the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, because a lot of Israel and a lot of the settings of Scripture is built around uh, the great sea as a matter of fact in numbers 34 and verse number six whenever canaan was divvied up to the children of israel and it was delineating the borders that actually was canaan the north and the south and the west borders the bible says and as for the western border ye shall even have the great sea for a border and this shall be your west border. It goes all the way around what is the perimeter of Canaan, and it talks about uh, down here along the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea and going over in the west border, the Great Sea above Mount Hermon, north, all this. If you follow it, then the Great Sea is, in fact, then the Mediterranean Sea, the boundary of the land of Canaan. Amen. And, and <clears throat> excuse me. And so in either school of thought that we're going to discuss, old empires or empires that's going to be in existence uh, whenever the Antichrist comes, either school of thought, these beasts do in fact come up from the area or the vicinity of the Mediterranean Sea. Meaning that if they're old empires, they're in that vicinity and area. Or if there are empires that's going to be in existence whenever the second coming of the Lord and the Antichrist and all that busts loose, it's going to be in that vicinity and in that area of the Mediterranean Sea. C, amen. It's concerned with that geographical location of the world. In addition, the Bible says that, that these four beasts came up from the sea, verse number three, that these four beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. Now, in addition from coming from the sea, or if you will, and we say, well, that's the great sea, the Mediterranean also, but here again, just in addition to that, sea or waters uh, could represent that these beasts or kingdoms were coming from among the nations or peoples, which that makes sense. A kingdom, a king, a nation that consists of people, that consists of humanity. But just for case in point, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 15, the Bible said, He saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Waters a lot of times was a symbolical of peoples and nations and multitudes and tongues. Isaiah 17 and verse 12, the Bible says, Woe to the multitude of many people which make a noise like the noise of the seas and to the rushing of the nations that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters and so we see then paralleled here multitudes of peoples like the noise of the seas and the rushing of nations are like the rushing of mighty waters and so to see these beasts come out of the great sea whether it be Mediterranean sea and also in addition to that meaning that they come from peoples and nations uh, is both absolutely acceptable amen allowing scripture to interpret scripture which by and large is what we try to do most of the time, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Amen. Uh, because whenever we do that, we have greater understanding. Because the Bible says in verse 3, those four great beasts that came up from the sea. Now, if you'll remember back in chapter number 2, I know that was so long ago, but if you'll remember whenever uh, Nebuchadnezzar seen the head of gold, there was no question concerning what the head of gold was because Daniel received from the Lord, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Now, that's pretty plain and simple. Now, I can, I can crow that I know what the head of gold is. It was the kingdom of Babylon, okay? I don't have to, I, there's no ifs, ands, or buts, options, or directions on that. 
And so allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture, whenever I see these four beasts in verse number 3, I can skip forward very quickly whenever the interpretation is coming to Daniel from the one whom he asked in verse excuse me, in verse number 17, and the Bible says, these great beasts, speaking of those four, which are four, are four kings, which shall rise out of the earth. Now, you can't get any better uh, interpretation of biblical prophecy than what you just got right there. You, you, do you wonder what the four great beasts are in Daniel chapter 7? Look a few verses later. They are four kings. All right, they are four kings. And furthermore, more light is shined upon it in verse number 23. Thus he saith, the fourth beast, so this is the fourth beast of the four, shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. So it's not just that these four beasts are kings, but they are also kingdoms. And that makes good sense because where there is a king, there must be a kingdom and vice versa. You don't have a king without a kingdom, and you don't have a kingdom without a king. So these four beasts represent kings or kingdoms that's going to be upon the earth, and the Bible says they are diverse or they are different from one another. They are not one and the same. They are different from one another. And there's going to be some scriptures that's going to describe those differences. I'm trying to keep track of time because I don't want to belabor y'all, but we're doing good. Y'all okay? I knew I should have got that board out. I could have drew some great pictures up until this time. I'm telling you right now. In Daniel 7 and verse number 4, we're following right now the school of thought that these beasts that arose out of the great sea among nations and peoples or the Mediterranean Sea, these four kings or kingdoms, we're exploring the school of thought that they are going to be modern empires and nations that will be in existence when the Antichrist will come upon the world in the second coming of Christ. Okay, this is the school of thought that we're, we're not getting through this tonight. We're not getting through this. In Daniel 7 and verse 4, the first, this is the first beast that came out of the water. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. All right. Modern, modern day power, empire, kingdom. Modern day, even today. Let's consider. Does anybody know, let's think, does anybody know a modern kingdom or empire today whose symbol happens to be a lion? Anybody? You know, nations a lot of time have, have uh, their, their emblem of their nation being an animal. That's not something uncommon. It's happened for years and eons of time. Well, uh, an article that was in uh, the Indianapolis Star on January the 4th, this is back in 1990, uh, it, it was entitled, this was the caption. It said, after the British lion, the Russian bear. And so that, that appeared in the Indianapolis Star January 4th of 1990. The British lion is universally recognized across our world. That the British, Great Britain, is recognized by emblem of a lion. Uh, it's appeared on their coat of arms of Great Britain ever since King James VI of Scotland ascended to the English throne in 1603. So that's a few years past how old I am. Uh, it's been around for a while. They've been noted as the lion. It also appears on several of their national emblems, several of their flags. All of this contain the lion. Now, 
The scripture says that this beast that came out of the water, it was like a lion, but it had eagle's wings. So this isn't just purely a lion. This is a lion that's got some feathers sticking out and wings sticking out its back, and they particularly say it's the wings of an eagle, all right? And this, this eagle's wings are eventually, according to the scripture, plucked up, which then just leaves the component of the lion the lion part of this beast that come out of the water. Now, does anybody happen to know a modern-day kingdom or empire that might have a representation or a symbol with an eagle? An America. The United States of America. You get out of, I think, it's been a long time since I had a dollar in my pocket just because I don't carry cash. I guess the new dollars still have the, the, uh, the American seal on the back as the eagle. Does anybody know? I'm serious. I don't really know if they still do that, do they? You never know. They might... He can gog you trust off there in the eagle, you know. It's still there. Uh, and so on the back, or you can get up probably a coin or something, even find that as well. But uh, it, it is represented by what they call the American eagle or the eagle. So if you take out, I guess, your wallet and you got a dollar, you're going to be able to verify that uh, here this evening. Amen. In October the 27th of 1990, uh, Time magazine uh, showed an eagle and a bear on their publication and what it was doing was rep and I wish I wish I had time for media because I got clips of this for you uh, representing the United States and the Soviet Union that they as though they were looking over the world but it was those two animals it was the eagle and the bear and so does anybody know where the United States originally came from pardon me their sister Charlene Britain Great Britain and so that Great Britain's our mother country I Great Britain's our mother country. And so the United States of America, and again, I lean more toward one, or you might deduce through it which one, and I'm not, I'm just keep you puzzled, okay? <laughs> I lean more toward one school of thought or the other. But the United States of America, uh, additionally, whenever we were in the United States and we were the 13 colonies, we're the 13 colonies, but we still belonged into our mother country, Great Britain. This is our little American history lesson, okay? Although there were 13 colonies, we still uh, were owned and empowered by Great Britain, our mother country. It was only whenever the Declaration of Independence was signed in 1770. I mean, what's the last digit? Someone still remember their history? My girl, you better know it. In 1776, whenever that was signed, that those 13 colonies declared their independence and they broke away from Great Britain. They broke away from the Mother country, they broke away from King George III and they got their independence. Now, consider scripture, if you will. The Bible says that this lion with eagle's wings, the Bible says that he beheld it till the wings thereof were plucked. The eagle's wings were no longer a part of the lion. So this is just one school of thought that if the lion, this lion eagle image which would be Great Britain and the United States still absorbed in Great Britain, that whenever the United States or those 13 colonies claimed their independence and they broke off in 1776 from the mother country, we're left with the lion, Great Britain, but the eagle's wings, representation of the United States, formed and found their independence as a nation, the plucking away, if you will. Now, after this happened, the scripture says this. It says... It, all right, let me find my scripture here. It says, it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given unto it. Now, here's the thing. People have controversies over it refers to. Now, I, 
I have a way that I believe that the it, what it refers to, okay? But some believe the it refers to the lion. Others believe the it refers to the eagle. And it's those who see the it as the lion. They see then that lion after those, those uh, wings were plucked off of it, that, that lion erected as a man with a man's heart. And so they explained then that after the independence of the United States in 1776 and the rise of the United States, they exclaim, according to history, that Britain became the largest empire in the history of the world after that. Amen. That she found her footing, so to speak, and that she stood erect. But those who see the it as the eagle's wings, amen, they see then that these eagle's wings being erect as a man with a man's heart, they explain that the United States... and you guys are going to figure out after a while where I'm at, but that the United States uh, then adopted the symbol of Uncle Sam, the erect as a man with a man's heart, after the fact. Now, I, let me just state right off, quite personally, I think that's really kind of stretching it <laughs> and far-fetched. Amen. But they also say, given the heart of man, because the wars that we have been engaged in historically, when we're engaged in the war, I don't, this is America. We're engaged in war. We fight. We don't like you. We're going to bomb you, blah, blah, blah. It's all said and done. And when it's all said and done, we send money back over to help rebuild the person we just had war with. The heart of a man. <laughs> uh, gracious, kind, compassionate, uh, whatever. And so we send funds back over to help what we just, uh, I don't know where it is. It needs to be insurance for that or something. But uh, it's just trying to, you know, I don't like you in the moment, but after it's done, I'll help you get back on your feet. Maybe we can do this again in the future. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, I'm not getting political around here now. Amen. So that's a school of thought concerning the line that has eagle's wings. Now going on to verse number five, the Bible says, and behold another beast, a second, it's coming out of the same Mediterranean area or among the people's nations and tongues of people, humanity, if you will, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs, in the mouth of it between the teeth of it that's kind of hard to say in it and they and they said thus unto it arise devour much flesh now i think we've already alluded to what the bear is in some of the publications i've already made mention of amen but does anybody know a modern day empire or kingdom that has its representation as a bear this is where you can say something <laughs> russia look at pat russia amen Russia. And so we, I already referred, as I said, to, to the article in the Indianapolis Star that after the British lion, the Russian bear. And then again, on the cover of Times Magazine, May the 21st of 1984, a large bear was shown. And this is appropriate because the Olympics are about ready to start. A large bear was shown biting the Olympic rings in two because uh, the Soviets at that time were boycotting the Olympic Games. And so that made Time Magazine, and they showed the Russia, the Soviets, illustrated as a bear that's biting these Olympic rings in two. Uh, Wikipedia, I know it's not always the best source, but it says that the Russian bear is a national personification for Russia. said it's used in cartoons and articles, and it's been doing so uh, for at least for sure since the 19th century. Now, the scripture, though, states concerning this bear, which is the second beast, it gives a little bit of description concerning this bear, that it, the bear, all right, because we don't have to worry about uh, eagle's wings and lion here. We only got one thing, a bear. We don't have to worry about what it refers to. It, the bear, raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs, 
in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. That's hard for me. Some, I don't know why. The of it in there just is really difficult. And they said thus unto it, the bear, arise, devour much flesh. Now here, this is, one, this is a school of thought here concerning history of Russia, concerning history of the world. There was something that took place after World War II which would have been in the 1940s, 1945, the ending of World War. Here comes world history. Everybody that don't like history, go to sleep. In 1945, after World War II, there was something that took place in the southern portion of Russia in a place called Yalta, known as the Yalta Conference. The Yalta Conference was a meeting of some of the most powerful three, mind you, of the most powerful nations or individuals in the world at that time. Joseph Stalin who was of Russia, all right? Then you had, uh, what's his name, Franklin D. Roosevelt. <laughs> I was thinking of Theodore. Franklin D. Roosevelt of the United States, president of the United States. And then you also had Winston Churchill, who was the prime minister of Great Britain at that time, at this Yalta conference. And in this Yalta conference, they met, there's three of them, mind you, Okay, three of them. And they wanted to bring this world war here to a close, World War II to a close. And so as a result of doing so, these three superpowers, these three nations, what they did was they failed to liberate some nations that Russia had gained in the war. Russia had gained or annexed, if you will, overtook some nations in the war. And it was normally at the end of the war, at least in those days, that they were allowed to go free and go back to their individual countries. But these three superpowers wanting to see into the war they just said hey Russia you just go and keep what you took in you go and keep these other nations and as a result of it there was an eastern block of countries that that were gained six nations or countries that were gained they were eastern Poland Hungary Czechoslovakia Romania Albania and East Germany now consider this here's a bear that's raised up on one side he has three ribs in his mouth now, just for consideration, uh, by and large, the only other place that we hardly ever, let in Scripture interpret Scripture, by and large, the only other place that we hardly ever see a rib that's mentioned of is in the book of Genesis, whenever from the rib of Adam came forth, from one rib equaled one person. There's a bear raised up on its side with three ribs in its mouth, and not just a school of thought, if a rib was equal to a person, we have Joseph Stalin, we have Winston Churchill, we have Franklin, I still want to know, oh, Teddy, I want to throw him in there, uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt. And by their power and their jurisdiction, they're saying, Russia, go on and keep these six nations. Remember, look at the scripture very carefully. I'm just asking you to consider, the Bible says that it had three ribs in the mouth in between the teeth of it. And everybody say they. They said, thus unto it, they said unto the bear. What said? The ribs said unto the bear, arise, devour much flesh. Keep the six nations that you overtook in the war so we can go on with life. All right? Uh, I think getting six nations at one time would be somewhat of a devouring. I don't know about you. Uh, it's just not on any given day you get that accomplished. So after World War II, everybody with me? Just nod your head. Raise your hands up real quick. Shake them around. Oh, you're doing wonderful. 
After World War II then, we have what? I think statistics say about 52 million people dying. And commonly in that era, the way to settle disputes between countries was primarily by war. If you had a dispute, let's fight. <laughs> That's how we used to do it when we kids too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have a dispute, let's fight. And so as a result of this, after World War II, there was something that was created through all this. We've already talked about it in the past. Something that was created in 1945 called the United Nations. In 1945, at the end of World War II, the United Nations was created. And the United Nations was nothing more but a world government entity. Now, here it is. Franklin Roosevelt, if you study history, Franklin Roosevelt was really naive about Stalin and his evil intentions. Uh, he didn't believe Stalin to be so aggressive, but he was. And here's what happened. Roosevelt had an assistant that worked under him in the United States. He had an assistant that worked under him. His name was Alger Hiss. You can look this up. This is historical. Alger Hiss worked under him. And whenever they devised this United Nations, Alger Hiss, who was an assistant to Roosevelt in the United States, was, became the Secretary General of the United Nations. And it was his responsibility to draw up and design the charter for the United Nations, how they would operate, how things would be organized, how it would all be devised. Alger Hiss, the assistant of Roosevelt, who was in the United States here, that was his job responsibility. As a matter of fact, the current United Nations, the charter that they have today and what they operate from is the, the original that Alger Hiss designed and planned and put into place. But here's the... Ooh, ooh. Later, in 1948, three years later, this Alger Hiss who devised the charter for the United Nations was exploited and found guilty to be a Soviet Russian spy. So what I'm saying is this. This United Nations that is still in existence today, go to Manhattan, look at the building. This United Nations that's still in existence today that does believe in this idea of an international world power, an international world economy, an international world financial system, international world military system, all of the charter for it was divined and designed by a man who was a Russian spy, and we still operate in the United Nations off that same design, still yet today so everything that the united nations is built upon has a tendency of being flavored with russian ideologies what is russia by and large communist socialist amen if i may and this is the year in which it was stated and i just quote this completely but Donald McAlvaney states that when his, the Secretary General of the UN, and others formed the United Nations, they established, listen to this closely, they established the Department of Political and Security Council Affairs, which would, this, this division, would have jurisdiction over all future United Nations military operations in a way that the head of the department, the way that they designed it, will always be a Soviet citizen, military officer, or person designated by the Soviets. So the person that is supposed to be over in the military structure of the United Nations, they have it set up that it will always be a Russian. Always be a Russian. 
It won't change. It's going to be an officer, military officer. It's going to be something that they have personally designed. And he states at that present time when this was stated, he goes on to note that that has been faithfully followed for the past 47 years. So they kept with it. It's always been a Russian that's been in place. Now here's some, folks, I get, I get humor out of weird places. But I went to the, to the United Nations website today and was just looking at it. And I was reading some of the material on their website. And lo and behold, this just strikes me as just a little hilarious. It, it might do nothing for you, but I enjoyed my moment, okay? So here, now listen, United Nations, it's set up. There's going to be a Russian over the military structure. Okay, well, it comes to find out they got all kinds of uh, different things that have been dedicated from different member states of the United Nations there, you know, from all the different people that are part of that, that confederacy. They, got, they sent stuff, statues and stuff for Italy or so on and so forth. Well, lo and behold, this is hilarious to me. Outside the United Nations, in the gardens there, there are several sculptors, sculptures rather, and one of them is a statue that has been donated from a different country. And the statue is called, Let Us Beat Swords into Plowshares. And it's the image of a man that's beaten a, a, a sword into a plowshare. That's scriptural. You read in scripture where swords were made into plowshares and there were plowshares were made into swords. A time when there was no smiths in the land, they took their plowshares, they made it into a sword for fighting. But, and, but whenever that was over, they took their sword and they beat it back into a plowshare, meaning we're not going to learn war anymore. We're not going to go to war anymore. And the statue that exclaims this idea that we're not going to go to war anymore came from Russia, the people who are over the military of the United Nations. Now that just seems a little hilarious to me. What's going on? What's going, what's going on here? Stand with me. I'll close. Amen. What, what's going on here? It's a, I get, it arrived there somewhere around 1959 and we're going to take our plowshares and take our swords and believe them to plowshares, but bless the Lord Jesus Christ, every person that sits in that place of being over the military is going to be a Russian. <laughs> so the idea then here of this school of thought is that the lion with the eagle's wings is a representation then of Great Britain and the United States that separated herself from Great Britain and that the bear is Russian, the three ribs in its mouth, mouth those three uh, nations, those three people, if you will, uh, of Stalin and Roosevelt <clears throat> and uh, Churchill, who just encouraged Russia, just go on and keep those six nations that you got during war, go on and spread some more of, of your socialism and your communists uh, throughout the area as much as possible. Uh, because, when, when, folks, whenever you talk about socialism, and I don't know how much you get in all that, but whenever you talk about socialism, you're talking about industry that's, that's owned by a, govern, a government rather than being individually owned. All right, owned by a government. When you talk about communism, socialism by and large is on the economic side. And communists, it can be on the economic side, but it's also on the political side. It's taking the rights from the people and giving it more so to the government. And so you have a government that is commanding in, in, in politics, and you have a government that's commanding in economics when you have a socialist communist group. And so uh, whenever you consider that the United Nations is based upon a spy that came from Russia, it has those flavors in it. So when you're considering the United Nations, they are all about their system, not the people. All right? Which could, and this again, just is just, which could line you up for something in the future of an antichrist to come in and be able to use that as a platform uh, to continue the rule of the people 
uh, militarily, economically, governmentally. You understand. The next week we'll jump on the leopard's back with four heads <laughs> and wings of a fowl. Four wings of a fowl. Does anybody just by chance just want to throw out there, who do you think that they're, this leopard's going to be as a nation or empire of modern day? That's what I thought. Well, it's kind of a curveball in reality because uh, as far as just a direct nation or something using an emblem, and this is where I have my difficulties with some school of thoughts, <laughs> is that it doesn't, it doesn't follow the same process of these emblems being representation of a country. It's kind of a switch up here on the leopard, and that's the reason why I have a problem with certain schools of thoughts. I think if it's going to begin like that, it would stay con with continuity through that. And I could give you other ideas and concerns. Why? But you studied out, you look at it. Amen. And I know at this time it's not like someone, it may happen, but I, I don't have a whole lot of prayer at the end of some of these sessions like this. Oh, God, save us from the communists and the socialists of Russia. Uh, I understand that that's probably just not, you know, the real flavor is not. I mean, it could happen. I mean, somebody could hear this and yeah, the end of the world's coming. I need to give my life to Christ. But I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not ignorant. I stick my thumb in the air and I can get a pulse right now of the spirit that's in this place. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's just bow our heads for a time of prayer here, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.